Our team provides the highest level of service possible to create a seamless real estate experience. Whether you're looking to buy or sell, we have a plan for that. Our success comes down to two things. Systems and teamwork. Our innovative marketing systems sell homes faster and for more money. We proactively find homes for our buyers before they even hit the market. Contact us now for a free home evaluation. Or ask how you can save up to $7,000 on your next home purchase. Your home. Our passion. All right. Welcome to the podcast. What number are we at now, Jacob? This is 65. Woohoo. All right. Uh, Luke is in the house with us today. Luke has been on three of them. Two podcasts. This is my fourth. Fourth, fourth. podcast. Oh. OG. One more, you get a jacket. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, oh, a home team for you jacket is yeah. black. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's already got it. it. Yeah. He's yeah. already got it. Yay. I could use a size smaller. <laughs> a size smaller. Okay. Got it. Uh, Bill's with us, too. Yeah. yeah. Bill's here. I don't know how many I've been. Maybe this is my third. They don't invite me very often. Isn't that funny? Luke's been on more than you. No, I probably selling houses. I think it's probably both of them, probably three or four. It's probably You're about the same. Yeah. We need a sub. Let's get Luke on. All right. Well, today we are going to dig into how to buy a new home in a competitive market. So we know all about that. Hmm? Oh, yes. We we know all about that. I know Bill's been a home selling machine recently based on his numbers. And uh, it's just a little different in this market with things being so competitive, um, especially compared to a year or two ago when I first joined. It's, it's completely different. So, uh, yeah, there's a... There's quite a few things that make this market different, but a lot of it just comes down comes down to letting your buyers know how many other buyers are out there and what they're going to need to do to actually win a house that they want. And it's a very different process right now than it used to be. So, so how if I'm a buyer, role play with me. What are you going to say to me to make me understand that there's so many other people out there? Well, uh, you know, the first thing, honestly, the first strategy I've been adopting recently, the first thing I've been doing before I even have a conversation, or at least after the initial call-in, is I'll take the uh, offer analysis from Paul um, Richard. He does it every month. And it's, right now it's great to show people, like in an actual quantitative format, how competitive things are. And when they look at the column and, set, and it says, okay, houses are selling for on average, or they're being listed for 25000 on average under the actual sale price. That helps or shows buyers a little bit more clearly what is actually going on as opposed to just, okay, the market's a little bit more competitive. You're going to have to offer a little bit higher, maybe waive, waive the appraisal or, or the inspection or whatever you want to do. When you give them the numbers and say, look at this, this is what you have to do, that's, that's the strategy that I've been taking that's kind of helping them, uh, A, just manage their expectations better and be just letting them know what the re- reality of the market situation is. Mm-hmm. When you have people that aren't numbers people, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Just tell them to put in as many offers as they can, and eventually one will work. Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, but no, it's I don't know. For me, uh, it's sometimes just yeah. Once they start seeing some houses, they see you know there's some similarities between houses. Look, once you find the right location. People get to the point, and hopefully, we've educated them to let them know what kind of offers they're getting accepted, and they, and and then the one that works in the end is the one that was kind of meant to be. Is that old cliche no seems brother. to seems to work? And I don't know. It's, it's the it's one meant area. To be, it's meant to be. That's what it feels like sometimes. But I've found, for the most part, I mean, had good luck with buyers feeling good about it at the end. So, 
Mm. Yeah. But yeah, the market's definitely in the last couple of years has gotten more competitive. I've looking, I've worked with some past clients and helped them sell their house. And we look back at like, Oh, when we bought that, we actually bought that for asking price, you know, two or three years ago. And, and, but there so was still see what an awesome deal I got you back then, but there were still multiple offers okay. and it was, right. it's, it's a little different. And then, mm-hmm. and sometimes I question and ask myself, cause you know, when a lot of people list homes, they list them a little lower than they think they're going to sell for. So it's part of that's generated where I think there's a marketing ploy where we list it lower on purpose. If we want to sell for a 360, we, we don't list it at 360, we list it at 340 or something. So some of it's multiple offers. generated, you know, making sure we get the best offer, but it's just a different market. I feel like that's changed a lot. I feel like some teams did that a couple of years ago, but not as often. Now it's really prevalent. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and to Jen's point, again, it's not, not everyone is a numbers person. So a lot of times what you have to do is go show them by trial and error what has to be done. And uh, yeah, that can involve some more emotions, uh, especially when you're waiting to hear back on offers, it's your fourth or fifth one. But um, so that's how some people learn is they need to, they need to fail once or twice, or maybe even more than that to know what they actually have to do to win. Um, and it doesn't really register. Or they can't wrap their minds around it until they see it play out in an actual situation. So if you're writing an offer, I'm just going to throw out some different contingencies and you tell me what people should do with them. Earnest money. Should they do more? Keep yeah, the same. Give them ten thousand if you can, as so. much as you want, as much as you can. It's not. I mean, if you're serious about going through with the offer, if you're not looking to, well, if you if you're just a serious buyer, you should not worry about getting that money back. It'll just go straight to your down payment unless you breach contract somehow. So that's really just good faith money showing the sellers, hey, we're serious about this. We're not going to back out. We're willing to. Sh- this is the amount we're going to give you up front to show you that we're serious, and um, that can help. Mm-hmm. What about inspection contingencies? Wave it. Wave them all if you can. Uh, wave them I, all. I know it's not, it's it's hard sometimes to uh, advise your buyers towards that, especially knowing the risk that they they may be taking so with some older properties. And, uh, um, I mean, obviously some some places have, well, I just wrote on the one with the holding tank. Matt, we had that conversation. It's It, re- it requires a little bit more uh, awareness. You have to be aware of the risks you're taking when you're doing something like that. But generally speaking, if they can and they're comfortable with it, waive the inspection. It's most Have people you guys are had doing it. Anybody do a post closing inspection? Has that come up yet? I've written that into like three out of my four last offers that have so it's not played out in an accepted right. offer situation, right. but that's something that um, especially with one group of my buyers that I'm working with is that's we've decided that's something they're comfortable with and something they're gonna have to do if they want to get a house by the time their lease ends. So yeah. And then for like inspection for me, I, I just educate them on the kind of what I feel like my responsibility is to just let them know kind of what the stats are and what other people are doing. That's about, and then it's their choice. So I, I don't know what a couple of weeks ago, the analysis was 30, 40% are about waving it and about the other, you know, 60% are putting a huge buffer on there. So you're, you know, it just kind of depends on the number of offers and if you, you know, you can get away with getting an inspection, but you got to make it safe for the seller to know you're not going to back out because of a certain threshold of defects. And then it's educating on what is an actual defect. It's not cosmetic. So there's some educational pieces. And I think sometimes people feel pretty good about either sometimes waiving it. And honestly, I get most 80, 90% of my offers are, are with inspection. Some people are surprised by that, but I'd 
we usually have a big enough buffer. We've educated like what's actually going to come up and the likelihood of it being so big deal that, you know, that, so, so I know there's offers we've lost when we've had inspections, but then the buyer feels better. So it's just working with individual buyer and the risk that they're willing to take. And I always kind of use the term, everything's a calculated risk. You know, we're deciding the pros and cons of every contingency and, you know, just depends on number of offers and that's kind of the end of it. I think the buyers, you know, based on that calculated risk, just have to decide what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're comfortable with having to put money into the house after you buy it and have an inspection, you just have to be willing and able to do that. Mm-hmm. So what about financing contingency? If they're confident I can get a loan easy squeezy, even if I have to get a loan, I don't have cash, would you be willing to tell people to not put a financing contingency in? I'd say... Well, if you have a cash buyer, cash is king. We've we've been saying that since day one. Um, obviously, if you if you have the luxury of being able to afford to pay with cash, then you should do that, and uh, your offer will stand out. If you are going to be uh, financing your your mortgage, which most people have to do, uh, you you will want to be protected because uh, I mean, obviously, you want to make your offer as competitive as possible. But one of the worst things that could happen is you make a contractual obligation to purchase the home, and then your funds or your financing falls through and you're still contractually obligated to purchase the home when you obviously don't have the money. So uh, that's something where, uh, I mean, there are things you can do with the appraisal um, and appraisal coverage to, like Bill said, kind of buffer that amount or if the appraisal comes back short. But you want to make sure that uh, you're you're backed with the financing contingency and that the bank will be able to fund your purchase. And if they aren't able to fund your purchase for some unforeseeable reasons, that you have that protection. Um, and some people, yeah, some people will say, well, let's just waive the financing contingency and go for it. But uh, in my experience, it's just something. And, and seller's agents understand that, too. They understand the reality of the situation for most buyers. And I don't think there's much of an expectation to waive that. But, uh, w- yeah, with the appraisal, that's where I'd say you can kind of add add that buffer in. If the appraisal comes back short, you, you can encourage your buyers to bring extra cash to the table if they have it. So, for example, how that would play out is uh, just using numbers, at, especially in a market where property values are increasing and they're just going up and up and up, the chance that an appraisal will come back low is much higher. So, you know, you write on a $250,000 property and it appraises for $230,000 from the seller's point of view, they're not going to, they're only going to get that $230,000. Um, and good seller's agents are aware of that fact. They acknowledge it and they, they prepare for it. So one of the things that buyers can do is say, okay, we have a little bit of extra cash. We'll bring up to fifteen thousand to cover any appraisal shortage that comes back. Um, well, and that's also letting the sellers know that hey, we know the reality of the market, and we're willing to uh, put a little mo- bit more money on the table to make this thing happen if if the appraisal does come back low. So that's another really big strategy, a really important strategy to be using right now, especially when it's not as easy to just waive the financing contingency altogether. Mm-hmm. So back to Luke's comment about cash is king. What's better, an offer $30,000 over asking with a decent down payment or cash at listing price? What's decent? Huh? What, what's decent? Are you saying 10%, 30%, 20%? 25%. Okay. Matters. So the reason why I'm asking is that I, as a seller, would you rather have, would you roll the dice of getting that extra twenty five grand or 25000 whatever that might be? and have a finance contingency, or would you rather take a lower offer that's cash? Um, so most sellers, I would 
I probably would coach them to take the one with the financing as long as there's appraisal coverage. It becomes so, go back to the roll the dice and see what you're rolling the yeah. dice. So as long if as it's enough money, yeah, yeah. As long as if they if they have the money and they would cover the appraisal difference, even though they are very rare, that something comes back and you know not appraising, but it does ha- it could happen and has happened. Um, but yeah, as long as it's a safe offer, if someone's offering thirty thousand over cash o- over with no appraisal coverage, that offer is really only worth what the offer is. What the what the appraiser says it's worth, and like, and if they're only five percent down, they can't cover anything. That offer is really. Then we're back to calculated yeah, risk. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. that's a. Then that's one. I think they would actually take the cash offer if the other one doesn't have the money to, to close. Um, to just they can't absorb the risk of what happens if an appraiser comes back. Cause appraisals are somewhat subjective. You have three different appraisers that all come back with numbers that could be three, 4% different potentially. It just depends on which comps they pull and win. And, um, it, it there's some, you know, they should come back pretty close, but it doesn't always work out that way. So, and I guess it's our responsibility too, to make sure that the seller or the buyer can prove that they have cash funds available mm-hmm. to cover any appraisal. So what about people that have a house to sell, putting subject to sale in? Should they be doing that? Right now, it's just something that with the majority of, majority of buyers don't have to have a home to sell, or at least they're not making their offers subject to that sale. So what if they have right to? Now, what would you tell them to do? Uh, there's, so you can work with them on trying to lay out a timeline in which you're able to list your home uh, and then perhaps within that time that you've listed it, receive an accepted offer. Let, I'll, I'll, here's a good example of a home that uh, me and my buyers have wrote on. And the sellers were kind of in the situation where they they needed to sell before they could buy, but they were needing to do both. So they listed their home for sale and they are asking buyers for a rent back. So in a seller's market, you can get away with asking for stuff like that. When you have 15 buyers writing on a property, there's a good chance at least one is going to be able to make that concession. So even if it's not a rent back, just pushing back closing uh, a month, two months, um, and then if you, knowing that you have those funds, you don't have to make your offer when you go out looking at homes contingent um, on the sale of your home because you already have that under contract. It looks like it's a the deal's about to close. Um, that way you have some time to go out, be aggressive, get something under contract. And if you you have a competent agent, he should or she should be able to help you line those dates up so that it works out. And you have some buffer and you have some safety. So it's not totally risky, but um, that's, yeah, that's something that we're seeing play out a lot more too these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also the option where they could write in that the offer is subject to the seller finding suitable housing. And that can, that's like an automatic out if the seller doesn't find housing. It's like, okay. But then you have to get a buyer that's willing to take that. But in this market, not impossible. Not impossible. Mm-hmm. No. But this time of year, that, that rent back situation is the really most common thing. It seems mm-hmm. like one out of four homes have it. Like the seller, they get they can get their money soon and use it to go buy something else. Um, they just can, then they just got to find it in the next two months or whatever it is. So... And it's amazing because some sellers are thinking, well, I won't find anything. I won't find anything. But it's like as soon as they put their mind to it, they can find stuff. It's like when you buy a new car and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have a red Camaro. Now I see red Camaros everywhere. Right. So one of those things. Very true. All right. So lots of good suggestions about how to uh, buy a new home in this market. Let's move on to uh, our word and words, and it is a land lease. Land lease. Land 
Land lease. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of when you think of a land lease? Well, I don't think, um, I, I haven't really had to work with it too much, but I mean, obviously it's a piece of land that's owned by the owner and you buy the structure that's there and that's what you own, but someone still owns Or you bring land. it in like in a trailer. Or you bring it in like or a trailer. commercially, if you had a, like a, let's say Menards, actually, Shopko, I used to do that too. They'd own these big parcels of land, have put a storefront on the mm-hmm. land, and then lease out to a smaller box stores on that same land. But they still control and own the property. So if that other box store goes away, they could re-rent that, or yeah, re-rent that to another box store. So you'll see a lot of that mm-hmm. in that case. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just that the land that whatever the structure's on is rent owned by someone else and somebody's going to have to pay rent. When do you see that most often pop up in residential? Because I've never worked on a land lease before. Mobile. Trailer parks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of that's commercial, like the land lease. If, I think if you drive by Menards here in Sun Prairie, you probably see they have for lease, land for lease out there somewhere because they have so much land they bought. So these big stores, big box companies actually have their own real estate divisions that go mm-hmm. out and find land. And then they put their store on the front store on it, and then they lease out the land to other smaller properties, mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, not something I've had to work with much. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think what's the um, what's the big uh, outdoor store uh, you can see from one fifty one? Cabela's. 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 I, did they buy that? There's something. One of those big companies over there bought all that land and then subdivided it like Glass and or um, Sugar River Pizza. All those little stores, I think, rent the land from them. Oh, that's right. It's the Prairie Lakes. I don't know who owns it, yeah. but I think that I've heard that too. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so both of you guys went to the UW-Madison. Hmm? And did you get the exact same degree, or you almost have the degree? Yeah, well, we won't be too re- preemptive with it. I uh, <laughs> I'm graduate in just over a month. You better I, make it Where's right Wood? <laughs> Knock on Wood. Yeah, seriously. Um, You're in the program? I'm in the program. Yeah, no, it, it's funny um, that Bill's on the podcast today too with me because and Bill and I have talked about this. I'm in the exact same program um, that Bill graduated with, right? Real estate and urban land economics. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. 20 years difference. Yeah, yeah something just like ish. that. 20 year yeah. difference. 16, 20, <laughs> 30. 30, 30, I don't know. Did you, get the nice, did you get the nice new building? Yeah, I was in Granger. Granger. Okay, yeah. 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 I don't, yeah, it still seems new, and even though it's obviously 20 plus years yeah. old or whatever it is, it, walking through it seems uh, very grandeur, but um, yeah, it's a year and a half of my education was um, online, year oh, yeah. 0.75, oh, yeah. so it was a little bit different in that regard, but uh, other than that, the beginning and the end are as and my, hopefully as college experience as it gets, going to have a regular graduation with, you know, people in person. Where is it? Camp Randall? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just I applied. I think, I think it's usually it where it is. Um, I think they did a Cole Center for me. Yeah, yeah for me it was yeah. a Cole Center, but then I think they start doing it at Camp Randall. Yeah. I think it's going to be tentative on the weather. If it's nice outside, we'll be at Camp Randall. If not, move it to the Cole Center. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had friends like last year and, well, last year I think they graduated, but the year before I had friends who like they gra- they graduated with their degree, but they didn't even have a ceremony or anything. And so, do they get to come back for the ceremony? Like, are they? They have the option too, and I I know they did like a makeup one uh, the following fall for the people who are interested. But it's not it's not the same type right. of closure. It's yeah. not like everything pinnacles to your graduation. Throw your hat, right. everybody. Exactly, uh, everyone Move who your did tassel that. Tassel over and then. It's like someone hat. take the picture. No. <laughs> I have to rent 
all that stuff, by the way. I keep forgetting. <laughs> and now, yeah, I, I don't know even where to go to do that. Probably university, but cap gown, all that stuff, I need it soon. Hit you one more time before you leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, no, and it's, it is interesting uh, because I also started – I started working with home team for you, started selling houses my sophomore year at the school, which was also when I got into the business school and when I started taking real estate classes. And I've been asked a lot of times how (laughs) the overlap, how it compares. Maybe every one of our Mm check-in. Yeah. And um, I mean, all I can really say is it's the first, the the introductory real estate course that I took, 306, was a very, very dumbed-down version of the, the licensing course. It was about probably one six of the the density the material that sort of thing um that was about it that was about the only overlap (laughs) i learned a lot about i learned how to appraise commercial properties i'm in a development class i'm in a capital markets class uh the degree and the the courses and the requirements past the gen eds are really aimed or geared towards people in my opinion who want to go work at high-end corporate development firms commercial commercial, that sort of thing uh i don't know any other realtors that are doing that are taking my path um it's interesting um but yeah and i i haven't had a chance to talk in depth with bill about things and obviously he his career as a realtor was separated from his uh, educational experience at madison but i don't know if that is similar you'd kind of classify it the same way if you took anything or remember anything from your studies that kind of carry over to real estate or not no i uh a little bit more probably like appraisal. I mean, I know that's commercial, but we did review all the residential contracts that, you know, cause there, there's a lot of overlap. So I, I remember learning a lot of the stuff about defects and all the different terms and contingencies. And we talked about some of that. And I don't know if that was from my appraisal classes or what, uh, but there was a lot of, there, there was some good info there. I learned a lot about access Dane and all the different ways to search things. And cause you have to do a lot of research in real estate. You got to figure out who owns property. And uh, so there was definitely some good tools I learned in school um, for, for that research base that helps as being a realtor. And then there is a lot of that commercial, you know, how do I build this um, hundred, you know, unit apartment building with, you know, commercial down first below downstairs and how do I actually get a financing for that and how you know what are my paths and it was a lot about getting that loan like how do I get that loan and so that doesn't really carry over to residential you know being a realtor but it's very interesting I mean it helps I mean there's definitely times where I'm able to pull from it but you know a lot of it is commercial based or financing based I think they don't always have to have a split at some point like you can go residential or commercial You'd think so, but there's there's so little residential material, residential related courses, and I I spent a long time trying to find one because I was, I mean that was my thinking is let's see how close or if I can take a course that kind of mirrors what what I'm in right now that'd be kind of cool. But there's nothing there's nothing like that, and I don't know. I mean the curriculum changes over the years. They figure out what students want, what's where people are going, and what they need to be educated on to go there. Um, but the yeah I can I can just speak to that the, the really the only skills were the research um and just generally for anyone that's going to a higher education is building those those fundamental skills of being able to do your homework and doing stuff on time meeting deadlines that sort of thing uh but yeah it's not the fact that i have a or will have a degree in real estate um doesn't reflect that much on my career as a realtor ironically enough so that's it's crazy? it's it's 
really interesting how those two have complemented each other over the two years, and I think they have really worked. I mean, the, my communication skills that I've got working, talking with adults, um, and then being able to carry that over into school. I've, I have good relationships with a lot of my professors and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's, there is carryover, but it's not as, uh, like as explicit as, as one might think when you get a real estate degree. It's a lot more. It's very technical, and it's very commercial aimed, like you said, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another overlaps, I guess, I've had because I agree with all of that. But I feel like maybe it's because I've been out of it for a while, or maybe the coursework's changed. But like when I think of like so real estate law, there was a couple of those classes that there was a lot of carryover there for me. And then, um, but yeah, it is very heavily finance based. Like, how do I? I was just very surprised on how much it felt like I was getting a finance degree. Like it's yeah. very, very numbers driven. Um, but it's all like that's commercial. Yeah, it's that all numbers commercial. driven. There's yeah. no emotion. It's just yeah. like show me the bottom line. Yeah. And then the other piece was like development. We learned a little bit about like development. How do you develop this and that? And you know that's more. There's more carryover there if we were looking at new construction. So if we were out looking for new construction for a buyer and or, or starting a subdivision or how does that all work and deed restrictions and there's pieces where that there was some carryover there, but it's all loose. So yeah. in that veil too, just paint painting a better picture of what the industry is, all the moving parts. Cause I mean, r- residential real estate is one beast, but real estate in general, there's being able to see how things work on the industrial and the commercial side and how people kind of transition between the, the industries within the industries and any relationship that they have with each other is, is kind of useful in helping just paint a bigger picture of what real estate is in general. And you can take those, those insights and use them in your residential career uh, but yeah, everything, the real estate law, that's, that's one I forgot, but they, they touched on a lot of stuff that you see in contracts, uh, residential contracts. So what about cash flow? Do they talk about cash flow? Cash or, flow. Or like that was uh, my real estate finance class. Yeah. It, I mean, it was all in Excel. Mm-hmm. I was, you like yeah. Excel. Yeah. I, I, I'm Mr. A, Excel, Mr. Spreadsheet. About. I don't know. Smart. How um, many tabs can I have open at once? <laughs> yeah, no, our exams are in Excel. So yeah. like oh. we, we open up our honor lock, they record us, we type it in Excel. Uh, not all our classes, but some of them. Uh, so that is, that's one, sc- actually, I might venture to say that that was the biggest technical skill that I developed is being able to utilize Excel efficiently. And now I have all my my life's in Excel. All my finances, everything. Yeah. It's just easy. It's easy to keep there. Yeah, doesn't go anywhere. Like, so, yeah. But I, d- I did like all the performas and stuff and how do the, I get cash flow yep, out of this. Yep. And there's some carryover if you're an investor. So, like, Matt, you know. It's crazy how, like, I just download an app for 20 bucks and I have the exact same stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, go to school. But I yeah. think the most of college, those experiences, it's mm-hmm. the experience exactly. of yeah. learning from different people. I'm curious to see if either one of you have people that you graduated with that went into residential. If you think of anybody that, what they ended up doing. Not necessarily with me, but like, I guess, I mean, there are people like, on, I think there's people on Stark. So like Chris Stark, he was, mm-hmm. he went to the real estate program. And I feel like Hanson brother. I don't know. I, uh-huh. I've heard. I've heard some. Called, I feel like there's some other people, but I don't want to say for sure. But there's there's maybe a few Stark agents that did, but it's not real common. Yeah, most of the most of my uh, fellow real estate career or real estate degree uh, people are they're they're trying to get out. They're trying to go take a big job at yeah. in a big city somewhere. And that's just, that's not uh, just real estate. That's a lot of places in the business school. They they're, they they want to get seen by a big company. They want to go make the big bucks, which is understandable. But that's not really, uh, yeah, the stuff that kind of stuff that you learned 
in a lot of the stuff in the in Excel and the finance is way way farther removed from anything we need to know in residential. Um, so it, yeah, it, those skills do, like I said earlier, they do carry over and it is nice to kind of see how that works out. Um, but the people you meet, like Matt said, the connections you make and people use the word networking all the time. And I kind of hate that word because it's, it's overused and buzzword. it's, it's a buzzword, but it's true because every, and especially when you're in business in a business like real estate, every person you meet, uh, if, if, even if it's not just a friendly relationship as a potential client and you can see, you can have whatever perspective you like, but meeting all those people or having the opportunity uh, to be that, that consulted with people your age that are also starting the trajectory of their careers is uh, somewhat invaluable. And that's, I value that more than I value the education itself. And I don't know, ask a different student, they might tell you something different, but that's, in my experience so far we kind of got the hose on your uh, covid stuff but yeah that's make up for it now yeah that's another story but <laughs> i kind of forget it's it's almost like there was just a hole where i was living downtown and not able to go anywhere and everything was everyone was just crazy about everything and it doesn't it did not feel like school at all it didn't feel like school so no discount though <laughs> no none of that yeah, we won't get into that <laughs> yeah i know for me with college the biggest thing it wasn't necessarily learning marketing and whatnot it was how to think out of the box mm -hmm. for you it was learning how to email oh well, no how to <laughs> back, way back then. attach a, a pdf, PDF. <coughs> and now, yeah. now you're really good at it <laughs> yeah tell me about it yeah, yeah i mean but back then there was a computer lab and nobody had their own computers and it was like this big thing and the, when the you guys have computer labs. Yeah, well, when the professor well, says you have to, the only way you can turn in your assignment is to attach a PDF to an email, and the whole class went, oh, I'm going to fail. So, Oh, we have good. one class where we went into a computer lab, and then we took out our laptops and worked on our laptops. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we, there was some something in there, we, the technology we needed, or hooking That's up funny. to a screen, but every, yeah. I mean, every class... Well, especially these last two and a half years, every class is you can do it remotely. Uh, the The courses are designed now, or at least during COVID, they were transformed into something that can be done completely removed from the classroom, which was very strange to me because I am someone who needs to be, not necessarily needs to be, but when I'm there in person, when there's a tangible, when there's someone interacting with me, teaching me, yelling at me, whatever you want to call it, um, I retain it more. Oh, I'm just more wait, present. Just when? Right. right. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know a month or something like that. <laughs> you um, then. It's and then when you're when you spend a year just having everything on your laptop, everything on Zoom, it's it's not it's not the same. And arguably, it should be easier, but I don't know. It's not as exciting or exhilarating to roll out of bed to sit in the chair next to your bed, <laughs> open your laptop, and then listen to someone talk than it is to get into a classroom, engage with your classmates, engage with the professor, and then have a have a normal day and go out and do stuff. And that's that was the biggest problem for me. But I'm really glad that things have kind of returned to normal or relative normalcy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, having a relative, relatively normal conclusion to my college experience is nice. Cool. All right, well, let's just zip over to our next topic, which is uh, reasons people feel buyer's remorse after getting a house. So in this market, there's a few. So the first one is they bought a home that requires too much maintenance. Have you heard that of people at all? I um, have not yet, um, but I do follow up with my clients and, and, and we, we stay connected and 
And I know we, there's a few that we that we've purchased that they knew were going to ha- be some work, and they plan for that. And um, there's a couple that I'll be like following up with the next few months here. You know, once we're a few months removed and I stay connected, but I'll be interested to see how it's going. And I always try to like go back and meet them and see their house. And once they're all moved in, and I try to see that. So, um, but I haven't had any real stories yet. But I I'm sure over time there will be some that there's some work that needed to be done, but. Like, oh, why did I do this to myself? Yeah, I haven't had that one yet. Yeah, I was going to say that isn't one. I think we as a team do a really good job with our Mm -hmm. clients, making sure that we're not putting them in situations that, you know, give them a lot of buyer's remorse. But I can see if somebody just wants to throw somebody in and they don't realize what they're getting into, it would be horrible. What about seller's remorse? Mm, No. If you feel you've sold like two years ago, Mm -hmm. should I just wait until now? (laughs) And made X amount of dollars more on the house. Maybe. Could that become a thing? I don't feel like, well, I have an interesting story on buyer's remorse that I could get into. I feel like for the seller's remorse, it's a, and it's, every situation is different, but it's a slightly longer time frame in which a seller wor- is working with an agent, interviewing agents, um, and decides that they want to list their home. I think there's it's more of a, not personal, but it's more of an intrusive thing to get ready to sell your home than it is to just call an agent through Zillow and go out and look at homes. And not necessarily um, buyer's remorse in the sense that it was maintenance that scared them away, but I had a situation where it was, I believe it was last summer, um, where I had a buyer call in uh, and they wanted to see a property that evening. And uh, they wrote on the when they came in they wrote I, I want to offer on this property so they came in and they were obviously very interested they knew they wanted to make a move somehow so I went out and showed the property to them uh, they they were go 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 like can I rent this place out like asking me all these questions um, and I was like okay yeah this person knows what they're doing they know what they're getting into and they're they're eager they're ready to make this move so we spent the night drafting up a really really strong cash offer um, sent it in the next day did went through all the usual steps I go through with my buyers. And then uh, I hear back from the agent, congratulations, your offer's accepted. <laughs> it's crickets for my buyer. I can't reach them uh, the whole day. I don't hear back from the entire day. I'm, I'm really scared. Uh, and then the next, <laughs> I actually, I don't know if you remember this, Jen, but I called you. I was kind of panicking. I didn't know what to do. Um, and then the next day I hear back from him and he's asking, well, is it too late? Like, is it too late to say no? And I, uh, I was really startled. I kind of explained to him like what a contract was and what he had signed. And uh, it, was, it was the craziest thing to me because I had walked him through it and he had said yes to all this stuff. And it was as though 24 hours later it was a completely different person had taken over. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. I said, who's in your ear? What are you hearing? What's going on? Like, like what's changed since we last talked? And then he... First, it was about a smell in the garage. He was like, there's a smell in the garage. I, I made a mistake. It shouldn't have been that. And then it became, it was my family. My family said I shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that. Um, and it was man, it was uh, one of the worst experience, experiences of my realtor career. But thankfully, the seller's agent, uh, he was a Stark agent, John Daggett, was a real class act about it, stand-up guy. Um, he, we resolved the whole thing. No one lost any money. And it was, it ended much better than it could have. But I think... The lesson from that is just don't assume, especially when you're meeting a buyer for the first day, don't assume anything. Don't assume their knowledge level. Don't assume all this stuff. Just go through the steps like you would, and even in a competitive market, um, I don't know. Familiarize yourself with your buyers. Make sure you establish that relationship 
Um, and the more they trust you, I think the less chance they have of experiencing that remorse because they will associate the house, whatever whatever they did, if they made a mistake, they'll associate that with you because you're the one that was not pushing it on them, but you're responsible for making that happen. And so I, I was a little, I felt a little bit guilty at first because I was asking myself, what did I do to make this person make this decision that apparently they didn't want to make? And uh, I, th- I think I finally came to terms with the fact that it just was an unfortunate situation. Um, and I just have to be more careful in the future, just educating people and letting them know that when they sign on that, that contract, it's, it's a done deal. They're, they're submitting an offer, which I thought I had done. But, you know, that's a, it's a good learning experience. And buyer's remorse is not fun for any of the parties involved. Yeah. So, And I guess I do have a buyer's remorse thing. Um, a couple months ago, it was not me. It was one of my clients that we've written offers for in the past. And so I had someone covering for me, and they actually did a showing and wrote an offer and got it accepted. Um, but it was for a condo and they always were looking for single family, but this place was amazing. And they, they thought they loved, you know, 80, 80% of it or more, but it didn't have the yard. It didn't have some of the open space that they actually always really wanted. And, um, so they ended up getting this offer accepted, but luckily we were able, we worked with a good agent and we were able to, um, resolve it without any issues and earnest money and get it house back on the market like almost the same day but it was one of those things where i was gone on vacation but uh, someone on our team was really helpful and helping it out but i i don't know if it wasn't maybe we didn't ask certain questions or we did i don't know i'm not sure i'm not sure why but it can happen i guess Uh, that's the only time i've seen it and i wasn't really here for it but it was like i was sort of aware of it so um i guess my only advice is for a buyer to try to stay true to what you're looking for and don't you know, if you're putting an offer in, I always tell people like you're, you know, we got to be happy if it works and we got to be happy if it doesn't. But at the same, you know, to a point, it's going to be that meant to be thing that Matt loves so much. But, um, but yeah, we want to make sure yeah, we should be happy and they should, people should be putting offers on, on houses that they truly want. So I had a family relative that's closing out a lot on Friday and Kim called me up and said, Hey, we want to offer on this lot. They'd never seen never it. Never seen a lot. I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, you guys know where this is? She's like, yeah, we've driven in the area. We're fine. I'm like, okay, but you understand that I get my accept my offers accepted, right? If you do this, you are buying it. She's like, yep. I said, okay. And that's the one that happened. <laughs> so they saw the lot for the first time a couple weeks ago before, uh-huh. uh, after they already accepted the offer. Are they happy with it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was that, a little bit more clear, those, right? That's yeah. one of those things that's <laughs> buyer, yeah. buyer's roulette. Well, especially <laughs> if it's your family member that you know, yeah. you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, she likes him. He likes her. It's fine. Yeah, I've had so a couple far. buyers that they're just like, they just like, I want to just write offers on this property. I'm like, no, we need to see it. And <laughs> right, make sure you right, like right. it. Like, because, yeah. you know, there's times where that works, but that's, uh, it's a, you know, they got to be willing to give up some earnest money if they don't get it or something. I mean, no one's going to. So you can't just throw offers around. I've had a few people I think that feel desperate and they just want to start throwing offers around. I'm like, no, we need to make sure you've seen it, you like it, and you know you want to own it. That's how this process works. This isn't just like get an accepted offer and you're like, eh, right. maybe I don't want it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, one, the other couple that are on here is they bought a home that was too small, or they bought a home in the wrong location. What does wrong location mean? 
Well, they school district. Maybe they couldn't get in. You know, it was too competitive where they wanted to be, but they really always wanted to live in Obrick. But they ended up in Stoughton, and now they're like, "Eh, I'm in Stoughton or whatever. (laughs) But it's not like you're being tricked into buying a location. You know the location when you go into it. I've never had those, but I feel like those two that you mentioned are the easiest to avoid in the sense that that's information that's very available to you. Mm-hmm. or should be very apparent to you when you're walking around the house or when you're looking at the house online. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the bought a house too small might happen more if it's like a vacant property and you can't yeah. visualize mm-hmm. how your stuff is going to fit in that lo- in the locations. Or you end up that. with twins. I've had people who mm-hmm. bought like a two-bedroom and That's a then... That's story. <laughs> but then like, I don't know, six months later, they found out no. they were pregnant with twins and it was like, But that's okay. post-purchase. It's not well, like they bought it. It was, but then they oh, had too small. they <laughs> had buyer's remorse that they bought because <laughs> life happened yeah. and there was two instead of one and it was like, well, in our plan, in our head, we would have had all kinds of time. Stop but planning. No. Or plan better, I guess. Well, well yeah. It's kind of hard to plan for you can't, twins sometimes. You can't, you can't do that. That's too hard. Mm-hmm. The one I wonder about is location. So there's a lot of people looking farther out than normal. Like they're like, they can't get something in their price point that is within 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And all of a sudden they're starting looking at 45 to an hour and that's far. Like, Oof. And then you have the people that, you know, that, from an urban standpoint, they have been able to work remote and maybe now they're starting to not be able to work remote, but they've moved far out. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be more because people have moved and people are trying to get something affordable and then they start driving. So I don't, I kind of wonder how that's going to weigh. That happened though. uh, The last um, time we went through this, when everything was so competitive, people started pushing out to Cambridge and, Mm -hmm. you know, Columbus and those outlying areas um, same thing happened. They because you couldn't afford it here, but you're willing to drive more. But then when the market then when they, went down, everybody went <laughs> right back in. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was a lot harder to sell further out. Interesting. So, yep. So let's see. Next one. They bought an older home that needs a lot of repairs. So that's kind of like the first one. Or they didn't consider the total environment. What does that mean? So it says, when we were looking, we were so focused on the house, we didn't give enough consideration to the surroundings. After two years of staring at my neighbor's homes, I find myself craving privacy and acreage. Mm. Oops. Mm-hmm. Put up a, what are those called, Arborvita? Yeah, and pray for them to grow quickly. Grow fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I haven't really had that, but I don't know. I, I liken all these things to, no matter what you've done, you've purchased a house, you've built a house there's always something you want different yep. mm-hmm. i mean i built That's my true. house it was my third house that i'm on right now we built it custom built you think you think of everything i have a list of at least 10 things that i would change you know and they're little things but like and not, i'm not going to sell the house and move because of it but i feel eh, I feel, there's always something you know so it, so there's some pro, true true to, truth to that but i don't know Hopefully they've, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully you still like 80% of the house. That's what I'm going to go with. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to push for 90. <laughs> or 90. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the last one on here is not doing more research can cause home buyers regrets. It says we bought a newly built home, but didn't do enough research on the builder or what we should expect when we move in. The home wasn't finished and we had to spend a lot of time chasing after a builder to do fixes and finishing things. So they felt like they didn't feel do their there, due <laughs> diligence enough. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't even know how that would happen because it depends on what it is. But like, you have to have a driveway in, or if it's winter, and I don't know. Like, 
Maybe it's just growing. the quality of the construction. Maybe, maybe yeah, there's like, something you don't. Yeah, so it's not that it's not. But finished, I don't understand but quality of construction because everything's. It's not like they have magical two by fours that work better than others. Yeah, but it could be the subcontractors to finish the yeah. plaster or whatever. The some people and, may have ideas of grandeur, like they think that they're in their head they're getting these awesome white cabinets, and then they come and they look a little cheaper well, than what they thought. Kind of crooked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that can happen. This this Why do you keep looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, good, good builders will get that fixed. That's uh-huh. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, may, this might tie into the maintenance items that you mentioned uh, on one of the earlier points, but I think one of the big reasons of buyer's remorse comes after the inspection, and that might be a different conversation in the sense that that's a different uh, part of the process, part of the transaction, but um, a lot of people, they're – they just, it's like a, a switch flips after they get that inspection report because they're walking around the home the first time. Um, every, they love everything. They don't have an inspector's eye. They don't have an agent's eye. They don't know what to pick it's out. It's all love and happiness. Right, but exactly. They're not, they're not thinking about the mechanicals or thinking about the... It's wh- broken. The That's going to cost me well, money. Right, and yeah. even if you have a competent agent who's uh, alerting you to things that might be an issue, an inspection report, and depending on who you use, but most of the time it's going to come back and everything that's not perfect with the yep. property is going to be listed on that inspection report. Do you and think it's a generational thing? I I don't know. I think, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what, I guess my, when we bought a house, I'm, I'm okay with things being wrong because that's the sweat equity that I'm going to put into it and fix it and repair it or update it. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with expectations in the sense that if they're not prepared to for what the, uh, the reality of the inspection report is going to look like, which is outlining everything that's not perfect with the house, they're going to take that as, oh, my gosh, all this stuff is wrong with my house. I didn't know I had all these issues. Because if they're not issues that are observable, apparent to them upon the first walkthrough, um, it, those things that pop up on the report, especially when they're in big red lettering or they have the flags by them, it scares people. So one of the things that you have to do as an agent, um, and you're not trying to deceive anyone. The report says what the report says. It's pretty clear. But you want to let them know that, hey, this report's going to come back and there's going to be stuff on it that needs to be fixed and it's not going to be perfect. It's never perfect. Even a new construction property, they're going to have an inspection report done. Uh, the one I did, it had a bunch of stuff come back on the docket that needed to be fixed for before the final walkthrough. So it's a lot of it has to do with preparing their expectations, letting them know that's just part of the process. But as far as buyer's remorse goes, the inspection and getting that report back, is, I think that affects buyers significantly if they're not ready to get that back. It depends on the buyer too. Like yeah. if I walk through a property and I see some stuff that needs to be fixed or updated, I have a general idea of what it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, that's what I think it's going to cost. I should be close or I can do it myself mm-hmm. versus somebody that maybe not doesn't know how to do the repairs and doesn't have an idea how much, what it may or may not cost. Right, yeah. So um, like if a window's crooked in a door, I know, okay, I can just do that myself versus calling somebody and have them come over and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of it, the experience agent, being able to just make sure I just try really hard to make sure they understand that, that what's a defect and what does that mean versus these are cosmetic, like, like the window maybe, in the door, maybe fix someday if you want. Um, but it's not going to like actually hurt the value of your house. So <laughs> oh, the crazy oh, that thing was, I've had that? even uh, <laughs> I, inspectors, I watch. there's that's been crazy. grayer on what they consider a defect. Oh, it's yeah, it's like, sure. that's, that's the, the scary, not the scariest, but yeah. the, the toughest part for me is, even for those people who are qualified inspectors in the state of Wisconsin, they can't agree on certain things that are defects. They'll l- listen in the report. And I've had people tell me, hey, like, this this is kind of a defect. I thought about not including it in there, but I did just in case. And it's like, okay, it's there's not as much of a black and white outline system as to 
describing what a defect is because I think the technical definition is something along the lines of anything that has a significant ad- adverse effect on the value of the property, which I don't know if you're a lawyer, you're going to have a value, field day with that. Safety, safety. And then there's one more thing, the uh, longevity. Longevity. So mm-hmm. that's a open for a lot of interpretation. So that's, and if, if buyers too, they see these things and they're on the pessimistic side of, oh my gosh, defect, defect, defect. And if the, the inspector kind of fills that, that, yeah, then that, that's a bad combination. But like Bill said, that has a lot to do with being able to prepare those expectations as a competent yeah. agent. Yeah, to a point. And the other thing to the new construction, we just, I just had a new construction um, inspection recently and there was stuff on it. I've always told people, like, even on a new construction, there's going to be something on it. And they, there was a few things that they fixed. And with new construction, you get a punch list and you get a first year warranty. And, you know, they even did it before closing. But there's always going to be something. Like, Is there one expectation you think with a new construction buyer that they want it perfect? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. 100%. Because, uh, I mean, it's as close to what you're going to get to a perfect house. Uh, and then there's their addition with a new construction buyer, the idea of what it should be versus what it is. You know what I mean? Like you have yeah. a vision in your mind of what this house is going to be finished, look right. like, and then uh. what it is. And it requires, well, it's it's just the bones. Like when a, when a house is, when a new construction is finished, it's a lot of times it's just the bones of the property. Right. The basement's not finished. It's, it's not as rudimentary or, yeah, a right. version as it gets. It's right. literally... Um, uh, the first, the first deal I ever did was a new construction property. And I remember the morning of the walkthrough, the air conditioning got stolen. Someone crawled through the window and stole the air conditioning no way. out <laughs> of the property. And That's a little different though, builder, I know it's different. The builder came through and he was like, oh, we'll get a new one for you guys. And my, fortunately my buyers were really cool about it. They just, they were like, okay, we'll go along with it. It's a safe got, neighborhood. Yeah. Safe yeah. neighborhood, but. <laughs> location sounds, location sounds pretty cool small. to me <laughs> yeah <ba-dum-bump>. <laughs> <sighs> all right um one more thing i wanted to ask you jacob i had sent you a link about playhouse remember playhouse. that app that interesting app oh where yeah yeah and it's apparently they say that they're turning zillow scrolling into a game so what? i didn't know if you wanted to just expound on it a little bit yeah, I looked at it a little bit. Um, it's still like a very brand new app, and it's only for the San Francisco market right now. Hopefully they expand out everywhere. But it's basically TikTok for real estate. It looks <laughs> and <brother>. behaves and <laughs> it looks just like TikTok. And you just scroll through uh, properties, and it the focus is on the video concept. So it shows you video highlight reels, and then you can like and comment and whatever. But I thought it was a really novel idea you know because i mean how many hours at least you're not swiping left and right (laughs) yeah you're not dating these houses yeah but you uh maybe there is some swiping i don't know but i did think it was cool because actually there's so many people that just developed that app for dating for houses yeah like swipe left if you like it swipe left if you don't yeah right or left you can tell we've not been on tinder Mm -hmm. yeah that was cool yes it's a match. This house likes you back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll just be in the back end. Wow, it loves you. Yeah, right? <laughs> we don't like this buyer. Yeah. No. We'll call it lumber. Yeah. There's some discrimination <laughs> issues there, I think. That That's good. Oh. Trademarked. Firewood. Yeah. yeah. Lumber. <laughs> Firewood. <laughs> Whatever you want. Lumber, yeah. Oh, goodness. But, uh, yeah, look like a cool app. Hopefully, they bring it to, uh, you know, our market someday. It'd be fun because... I mean, people spend hours and hours and hours on Zillow just scrolling through, and now we live in that mobile world, and this is just a different way to interface with, uh, you know, houses on the market. 
So when you're looking on Zillow, and I'm assuming all of us do, because I do, um, is there any intent to really I'm always on hometeamforyou.com, but... <laughs> when I'm not on hometeamforyou.com, um, if I'm looking on Zillow, there's not really any intention to necessarily buy a house, but more just to see what the houses look like and what they're priced at. I do find myself now checking out the neighbors. Now, like when That's the neighbors creepy. when the neighbor's house pops up, I'm like, oh, what's the inside of this house look like? And wow, they're selling it for this much? Oh, wow. I remember doing that when we were flipping houses. I would actually go through some Zillow photos and get just good ideas of how, what to add to the flip, what, whether it's cabinet colors, trim, carpet, yeah. whatever that might be. I tend to look on at for houses when I want to buy. Like You don't just... I mean, because as a job, I'm looking at houses all the time. But usually, yeah, I just don't sit and look at them just to look at them usually. I mean, I've only yeah, been a homeowner for mm-hmm. five days. So <laughs> um, I've always been looking to buy. You get the notifications, don't <laughs> Anytime you? Anytime I've been on Zillow. Like I, have, I guess uh, I have a search set up that... For different properties. As soon as areas. we get an accepted offer, I turned all my notifications off. I still get mine, but I get them for different locations, so not where we bought. Mm-hmm. Somewhere further south. Mm-hmm. But, but now that we're looking, I'm, I've got stuff coming up on. every. No, I, I've got, I've got Paragon sending me listings, which is. Stop forwarding those to me, by the way. Well, that means that I like them and that you should pay attention. I'm getting right. like thirty more than you. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the fact, do you see why I don't need to look? Because what I actually like, does it matter? Not as much. I don't know why you're not using the home team for you and doing the favoriting feature between each that's other. That's actually what I did when we found so, our house. That's what I, so that is one of the things I, because my whole thing is trying to make things simple for people, but I'm like, if there's a husband or wife or partners or whoever's going to help them buy, I'm like, you share the login and just favorite or unfavorite or just you guys can talk easier at night. Like, here's yeah. your houses, here's your list. Mm-hmm. Look for the stuff that I'm looking at. It isn't in our market, though. It's yeah. where you go vacation and get stuck at. Yeah. Yeah, that won't work. <laughs> yeah. Maybe someday. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> All right. We're probably pretty ready. Sure. All right. Can we do a game with them? Nope. I thought we'd do we're we're pretty that. much out of time. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. But thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hey, if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in South Central Wisconsin, visit Zill. I mean, home oh. team for you, number four letter U dot com. Later, guys. Congrats Peace on the out. house, Jacob. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Still waiting for the invite. Any buyer's remorse yet? <laughs> no. Zero, fixed. zero buyer's remorse here. <laughs> Super happy with been asking him. He got the window and the door fixed. Home Team for You was my uh, realtor of choice, by the way. So check him out. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Luke.hometeamforyou.com. <laughs> <laughs>